Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is James, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to Acumen Inc. 2020 fourth quarter and year-end results research analyst call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise, and after the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Thank you. Mr. Zine, you may begin your conference. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Acumen's results call for the 2020 fiscal year. My name is Riyad Zine, and I'm the president and CEO of Acumen. Please note, the visual presentation is meant to accompany our presentation today. The copy is available on the investor section of our website at acumen.com. Before we begin, let me remind you that certain matters discussed in today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions asked could constitute forward-looking statements that are subject to risks or uncertainties relating to Acumen's future financial and business performance. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. You should not place undue reliance on these statements particularly on future financial performance. The risk factors that may affect the results and these forward-looking statements are detailed in Acumen's periodic results and public disclosure. These documents can be accessed under Acumen's profile on CDAR or on EDGAR. Acumen is under no obligation to update any forward-looking statements discussed today and investors are cautioned not to place and do reliance on these statements. We may refer to certain non-IFRS measures during this conference call, such as EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, and adjusted EBITDA margin. Our definitions for these terms are included in our public disclosure. Our use of these non-GAAP measures is intended to complement GAAP measures by providing additional information and further understanding of our results of operations. Our financial report begins on slide three. As you could tell from our financial statements, we have begun reporting our results in US GAAP, and we have released interim financial statements for the year 2020 in US GAAP as well. For our inter international investors, IFRS conversion notes can be found in our MDNA. As you can see in our summary slides, we generated revenue of 58 million for the quarter and 251 million for the year, which represents a small increase as compared to 2019. The increase from our acquisition of uh, Advanced Diagnostic Group and other packing acquisitions during 2019 was offset by the impact of COVID 
pandemic in the year. Despite the dynamics, as I will touch on again later, and with the support of our employees and all other stakeholders, we were able to largely maintain our margin profile. Adjusted EBITDA for the year was down from $60 million to a total of $54 million for the year for the fiscal year 2020. Moving to slide four and discussing the volumes uh, uh, for, for, for the fiscal 2020. As you can see from the slide, volumes continue to increase up 3% compared to Q3 and 40% compared to the COVID quarter Q2. So far, based on preliminary information, we expect Q1 2021 to track similarly to the volume we saw in Q4 and the same we saw in Q1 2019, even with the impact of the Texas ice storm on our Texas operations, which is obviously a validation of volumes coming back to normal pre-COVID levels. Still, as a result of the pandemic, we experienced in the quarter a 6% decline in same center volume in Q4 as compared to Q4 2019 with overall volume year-over-year year down only 3%. Let's move to slide five and discuss the revenues. The collections experience on the acquisitions we completed in 2018 and 2019, along with the impact from the pandemic, have required we increase our implicit price concessions for the year which resulted in a service fee revenue per RVU for the quarter of $38 and service fee revenue for the year of $43. And obviously the more relevant number is here is the number for the fiscal year 2020 of $43. These concessions don't reflect any change to our reimbursement rates or network status with any of our payers. It's again, just it's a reflection of uh, uh, the, the collection experience of all the acquisitions we made, uh, whether it was on, on our new platform or on the, on the legacy platforms. Because these price concessions had to be booked in the fourth quarter, they obviously had a significant impact on the revenue booked in the quarter. However, we believe any run rate revenues for any quarter in 2020 or for the full year should be calculated by multiplying the RVUs on, in the period by the price for the whole fiscal period for 2020. For example, in Q4 2020, where we generated more than 1.5 million of RVUs, at the average price per RVU of the year of approximately 43 million, that would imply a total service fee revenue of approximately 66 million, which w would would be in line with uh, uh, the 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 expectations for the quarter. Our other revenue included 5.2 million in grant funds from HHS, 4.1 million of which was received in December 2020 under the CARES Act 
and was applied in connection with expenses incurred and revenue loss related to COVID-19. And that was consistent with market practices of including the total 5 million grant in other revenues. Moving to slide six, as part of our adoption of US GAAP accounting, you will now find our revenue mix included in our public disclosure. Like many other companies in the, in the sector, our 2020 revenue mix is mostly commercial insurance at 67%, 12% Medicare, 3% Medicaid, 4% workers' comp, and 4% other patient revenue. However, and like most companies in the sector, we also have 10% of our mix from attorney revenue. On the whole, we find the proportion of our revenue mix dedicated to Medicare is also much lower than most others in the space that tend to be around uh, double our, our uh, exposure uh, at 24, 25% instead of our 20, 12% exposure to Medicare. We classify attorney as a separate category from auto, which forms part of commercial, as attorney payers have much longer payment cycles, which are often contingent on court processes and victim settlements. These longer payment cycles are what result in more than 40% of our accounts receivables being made up of attorney AR. Moving to the discussion on adjusted EBITDA on slide seven. As you could see, the adjusted EBITDA of the year was 54 million as compared to 60 million last year with an adjusted EBITDA margin of 21% versus 24% last year. Our 2020 margins were obviously impacted by, by much lower volume during the COVID-19, and we expect a return to normal margins of about 24% as volume levels, including volumes attributed to acquisition completed in 19, return to normal levels. Even with the significant volume decline, we were able to successfully manage our expense profile and redeploy volumes as volume returned. And that's what kept a healthy margin for the business for the full year. Now I would like to pass it over to Mohammed Salim, our Chief Financial Officer, to discuss our leverage profile, our uh, uh, capital expenditures, and, and cash uh, position as well. Thank you, Riyadh. Good morning, everyone. On slide eight, you will see our leverage profile information. With respect to leverage, the total debt reported in our financial statements as at December 31st was approximately 406 million, and it includes finance leases, and the net debt was about 361 million. These numbers do not include the 75 million financing that took place in February 2021. Using the low end of the guidance range in our press release, we assume a run rate uh, of the business with adjusted EBITDA of about 65 million 
This implies a performa net leverage ratio of about 5.5 times as at December 31st. Going forward, we expect our leverage will benefit from improving volumes and savings from our new service delivery platform and other business initiatives. With respect to capital expenditure, the capital expenditure to revenue ratio for 2020 was about 5.3%, which is in line with our typical expectation of between 5 to 6% of normalized revenue. With respect to accounts receivable, at December 31st, it was about 91 million versus 99 million at September 30th. The decrease in the accounts receivable is mainly due to higher incremental implicit price concessions during Q4 2020, which relate to the company's experience of collections affected by COVID-19 and the integration of imaging centers acquired in 2018 and 19. The cash balance at December 31st was about 44 million versus 27 million at September 30th. The increase is mainly due to the cash received as part of the senior notes issuance in November 2020 and the 4 million in grants received from U.S. Health and Human Services. Part of the net cash received from the notes was applied to repay transaction costs and to pay the 4.7 million earnout in November 2020 in connection with the ADG acquisition. Since COVID-19 began to have an impact in March 2020, no draw has been made on Acumen's credit facility for working capital purposes, and none of the proceeds from the new senior note issuance in February 2021 have been applied towards operations. The current cash balance also reflects steady improvement in business volume and ongoing expense management by the company. I will pass it back to Riyadh now. Thank you. Thank you, Mohammed. Even with COVID's impact on all of our lives, 2020 still saw Acumen advance many of its capital market strategies, which you can see summarized on slide nine. We registered with the SEC and commenced trading on the NASDAQ in September 2020, becoming a dual listed with both the, uh, the NASDAQ and the TSX, where the NASDAQ has become our sole U.S. currency in terms of trading market. We have seen a significant increase in our trading volumes since we began trading on the NASDAQ. We also completed our first bond offering, which was a U.S.-based private placement of 7% senior secured notes for a principal value of $400 million. We also maintain a Peripassu secured revolving credit facility for $55 million. With the financial statements released today, we have also begun reporting in U.S. GAAP and have provided all the interim financials for each quarter in 2020 in U.S. GAAP 
as well. On slide 10, we've highlighted few of the subsequent events noted in our financial statements. In early February, as Mohammed alluded to earlier, we completed a TACON offering to our bond for 75 million. The proceeds, as indicated earlier in previous press releases, will, are expected to be applied to future acquisitions. We also completed a successful equity investment in an AI technology company, which we expect will supply an integral part of our ERP platform modernization. Our investment of 4.6 million, together with the conversion of an earlier debt investment, has resulted in us owning 34.5% interest in the business. Now, I would like to review our 2021 fiscal year guidance levels, which we released in our press release and which are in uh, uh, outline on slide 11. For volume, our guidance range is six million, six point six and a million to 6.45 million RVUs for fiscal 2021. Revenues is a range of 270 million to 279 million. And we expect adjusted EBITDA to be in the range of 65 million to 70 million. These guidance levels are built on a number of assumptions. First, we based our RVU volume on a very modest increase of analyzed Q4 2020 levels. Our initial data for volume in Q1 2021 already suggests and confirms that level, even after taking into account, as discussed earlier, the Texas ice storm impact on our operations. Second, our estimates assume the same service fee revenue per RVU as we achieved in 2020. Obviously, this includes the same implicit price concessions we discussed earlier in this call. Third, we have assumed the same general cost structure for our business, as well as the same geographic and clinic footprint as we had in 2020. We believe there is potential upside beyond the high end of our guidance ranges, which would result from planned cost reductions, acquisitions resulting from the deployment of our TACON bond proceeds of 75 million, as well as other TACON acquisitions, which could be completed over the course of 2021. This concludes our prepared remarks, and we would ask the operator to start the question and answer period. At this time, I'd like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. And we'll pause for a moment while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Tanya Gonzalez with Canaccord Genuity. 
Go ahead, please. Your line is open. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my questions here. Uh, just a couple for me. So, one, can you provide an update on the 18 Center acquisition? Has this closed yet? Um, and if so, or if you're still anticipating it will close, what proportion of guidance, if any, does it make up? Um, good morning, Tanya, and uh, thank you for the uh, thank you for the question. So, um, uh, again, for greater clarity, um, none none of uh, the Takin acquisitions. Um, uh, whether related to the 75 million additional debt proceeds or potential other token acquisitions that we will do in 2021 are in the guidance. The guidance is strictly based on our current volume um, in, 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 uh, of the clinics that uh, and the assets under our uh, possession today in 20, as of the end of 2020. So that's number one. Number two, with respect to uh, uh, timing, um, obviously we will we will make announcements as we go into definitive agreements and as we close these transactions. We have made significant progress on 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 those transactions, and we expect um, and uh, to make uh, uh, announcements in terms of definitive agreements um, uh, uh, in the next in the next uh, uh, weeks uh, uh, where we expect to basically have all these acquisitions uh, completed and, and, uh, and deploy the, the proceeds that we raised from the bond in, uh, in February. Perfect. As, okay. we prom- as we promised the debt investors at that time. Excellent, that's very helpful, thank you. Um, now in terms of that guidance number, how do you think it's going to shake out in terms of uh, quarterly allocation? Based on the volumes that you're currently seeing, do you think seasonality will kind of be restored to what we've historically seen, or will there still be some, some lumpiness caused by COVID? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a good question, Tanya. Um, we 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 start we as and 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 well said because really actually the other thing we've learned from COVID the recovery from COVID is we're not sure if if uh, to be honest if 2021 will be uh, will go back to the normal seasonality that we've seen in the past um, uh, but I think uh, the uh, there is always uh, uh, we've seen some signs of seasonality uh, when I look at the first quarter. Um, uh, so we, it, it's kind of typical. What you see is, you start off very slow the year. So I, I think if I, uh, you know, if we have to predict, we will see some, uh, uh, we will see return to normal levels, but we will also see some, some uh, seasonality um, uh, in in the numbers for the fiscal 2021, based on what we already saw in the first quarter, because it, it did feel uh, somewhat normal when you look at it on a monthly basis other than other than the texas storm of course yeah (laughs) okay okay perfect thank you Uh, and then just lastly for me are you able to provide any more color on the equity investment in the uh the new ai platform that's 
something that's really interesting. We're hearing a lot about these AI platforms disrupting radiology in the news. So it's nice to see you guys are being active in this space. Um, yeah, so any, any background color you can provide on that investment would be helpful. Sure, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to, just like you said, and, and obviously you're very familiar with the space and I, uh, and I know that you cover uh, uh, or you're, uh, you're, you're, um, uh, you're involved with some of the names in the, in the space. Uh, there is no question that uh, digital uh, uh, health, especially powered by AI, because not every not not every uh, software in digital health is AI based, and uh, and AI based meaning um, repetitive tasks uh, could be replaced with 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 technology. Um, and which really changes the whole part of the workflow. Uh, part of part of the reason um, it took longer than we expected to modernize, and I want to you gave me a good opportunity to provide this color for why we made this investment. Um, uh, it, it's it's really mo modernizing the workflow. I'll start at 10,000 feet level. Some people probably think that you know. The valuations that some of digital health companies are getting are are uh, uh, off the chart. Um, there, they are off the chart because maybe they're off the chart for a specific company versus another. But I could tell you, in the whole, uh, the valuations that these companies have don't even give them uh, justice for what they're going to create as value. Um, I think, and I could look at our business as a very small picture, the uh, AI-based type of technologies like these, what they could save in, in, uh, in efficiencies and workflow, um, and, and as a result, quality of service and uh, beyond the cost efficiencies, it's a, it's a real. And that's why the most studies are talking about $750 billion, uh, uh, per year in, in, in savings is what these digital health companies could do. So that's the macro level, which which really what's driving the insane valuations. Um, as it relates to the specific investment, uh, this is obviously a very important part of, of our workflow. And we have been working with uh, a number of companies uh, and, and even more established companies, uh, established in, in the sense that they have a revenue base um, or a significant revenue base. Um, to basically uh, address the automation of the patient journey from start to finish. And the patient journey is not just a, uh, what happens in a front desk. It's a lot more complicated like that than that in the imaging uh, uh, service. And obviously we want it to be an open platform that could learn from repetitive tasks and do them with technology more accurate in, with a, in a more accurate fashion and be able to be an open uh, architecture so that it does connect with other um, software applications on the insurance side and the payment side that are very uh, crucial to what we do. Uh, probably we spend a year uh, searching the markets uh, and the best companies we were close to get to, we couldn't even automate 50% of our patient journey the way we think about it in a modern way. 
like the way we think about it in in uh, in an online service level where you get the experience of 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 one of the best known names in 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 uh, in, in the retail uh, uh, space. Because that's really what we're trying to to bring. We're trying to to bring uh, a very different level of experience. This is the only company from our research of many companies that came very close to the vision we had and to the level of automation we want to get, get up to. For us, 50% automation, although it will lead to uh, uh, significant savings, it's not going to be a disruption in, uh, in changing the, the, uh, the uh, level of service. So we made a small investment in May of 2020 in this company because at that time, the product looked very promising and they start to have attraction with some large uh, uh, established uh, networks uh, to, 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 to provide the service. But it was more for physician offices, not for a complicated healthcare service like ours. Uh, we were very uh, pleased and very uh, impressed with how close they got to the vision that we want to build and to the level of automation we want to get to. And uh, although there was significant interest from the financial community to make a significant investment in this, um, in this company, we were uh, uh, fortunate to basically become their partner. Um, and obviously they saw the, they, they saw the more than the investment from Acumen. What they saw is obviously the, the vision and the know-how we had to basically help uh, develop uh, their their products, not just there's a lot of the uh, uh, knowledge and a lot of the, uh, 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 the collaboration we ha we enjoyed over you know from May until pretty much the end of last year, also got them to believe that we are more than a partner that could write a check. We are we are a partner that could uh, help uh, with the with 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 the logic and with the vision that uh, uh, we both shared for what we could do from from uh, uh, in terms of modernizing the patient uh, journey in in uh, in an industry like ours. So we're very very excited about these these technology, and I really believe if by which is still the plan is to. Uh, complete the ERP and the transition of our network to the new ERP before the end of this year. If uh, that is successfully done, and we have no reason to believe that it will not be successfully done, uh, this will be one of the best hidden assets inside Acumen. Excellent. Thank you for that, color. So I think it's fair to say then this is not just an AI platform that analyzes images to essentially replace the job of a radiologist, but it, it seems to be doing more than that. No, it's actually, so, so uh, just to be clear, it, it, has, it has nothing to do with images. It's, uh, okay. it's, an, it's AI based for, uh, uh, so for workflow uh, uh, administrative tasks, tasks. So basically AI, uh, they have artificial intelligence technology that basically could replace uh, uh, administrative tasks. Understood. Understood. So this, okay. this, this, this basically would be an important 
Uh, I mean, remember, we, I always talked about this. 80% of what we do has nothing to do with the radiologist reading the study. Like to deliver the service, 80% of what we do is actually administrative. And that's really why people are so focused on these companies now, because these digital uh, uh, software companies are going to address the significant growth that we've seen on the administrative side of any healthcare service company. You know, there, is, there, is a, there is a reason why our employee compensation is that large relative to revenues because of the administrative tasks we have, not, not because of the radiologist. The radiologist are, is the reading fee line. All the other employees, majority of them are doing administrative tasks. I mean, obviously okay. excluding the, 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 the technologist, but, but you know, the service, in, especially in 2021, should be delivered without that kind of uh, significant uh, administrative workforce. Understood, understood. Thank you so much for that. I'll, I'll hop back in queue now. Thanks, Daniel. And ladies and gentlemen, again, as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. Our next question comes from the line of Noel Atkinson from Claris Securities. Go ahead, please. Your line is open. Good morning, guys. This is uh, George dialing in on behalf of Noel. Uh, thanks for taking our questions today. Um, in terms of your, what, 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 what's the status of your new ERP uh, system rollout at the moment? And uh, any, are there any other cost optimization or efficiency improvement projects planned for, for this, for the next couple of years? Sure, thanks. Thanks, George. Um, so the, where, where we are right now is uh, um, all the solutions um, uh, uh, in term, that make up the ERP uh, have been uh, uh, identified and uh, have been, uh, uh, bas we're basically uh, developing them uh, to customize it for our workflow, or we're integrating the applications uh, between each other uh, to make the whole ERP work. So that's one, one element of what's going on. The second element is we have made significant progress on data migration. As you could imagine, you know, the years of data that we have for uh, millions of patients, um, we have uh, successfully migrated all that data into migration servers so that we're, we are getting ready in a position when we move to the new ERP, we have access to all of our old data. The third thing uh, the, that we're working on is uh, obviously having a, a platform where all these data will migrate to and, and all these applications will work in. And uh, uh, when, when, uh, when the time is right in, in the next uh, a couple of weeks, we will provide an update to the market on uh, on on uh, uh, the uh, that that inflection point because we believe that that is a, a significant major uh, milestone. And then after, when that is done, so now what you have you have a new environment, 
the new environment has all the applications that you need in the new ARP. All the applications work together as one solution, and you have all your old data in that environment. At that point, you're ready to convert all of your clinics into the new platform. So that's why we're expecting these to be done before the end of the year. So the, the, a lot of work has been done on the components of the ERP, on the developing side of the ERP. A lot of work has been done on the migration of all data. Now it's basically putting the pieces of the puzzle together in one place, uh, uh, which will happen over the next couple of months. And then after that, in the uh, la la later la part of the year, uh, putting the clinics on the new platform. Um, the, the, it's, this is the biggest initiative that we have on the, obviously, uh, 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 the cost side. Um, there's another initiative that um, we will also update the market on uh, with, uh, uh, with, uh, with respect to the uh, uh, standardizing the clinical side of the business, and which will lead to some efficiencies as well. But, but uh, uh, what's more important is also a standardized level of uh, care across the whole platform, so that there is a, a, a the protocols are. The clinical protocols are the same. Doesn't matter where you go in the Acumen network, and and that's that's another business initiative that we're working on. And we're uh, obviously I just talked about it because we're very close to uh, updating the market on what we're doing on that front as well. Um, and like we've been uh, uh, working very quietly in 2020 especially in a challenging year, but I think in 2021, uh, uh, just like we were uh, with this uh, AI investment, uh, we're going we're gonna to actually provide the market regular updates, and they're going to see the, 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 the building blocks towards the, uh, the ERP or, or the, uh, the other initiatives like you, uh, uh, like you just outlined in terms of uh, further efficiencies and, and, and better standardization in the business. Okay, got it. Well, thanks for that color, Riyadh. That's great. Um, moving on to the acquisition side of things, um, do you intend to continue to actively look for TACAN acquisitions in uh, th this year beyond the, the 18 centers you already announced? Uh, and if so, are you looking to enter into any new states? Sure. Thank you. So <clears throat> I think I, I said it in 2019 that 2020 will not be a year where we buy anything. And, uh, and, and I, think, uh, I think COVID made it even easier uh, to, to achieve that, to achieve that, uh, 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 to actually stay with that discipline. Um, and and the, the reason was simple. Uh, the company needed a pause. We need a pause for what the baseline is, and we need a pause because I'm not I'm not interested in running a business where I need to look into nine different systems to find out what how we how we're doing. Today I could provide the guidance to the market because I could look into one system, 
and know where, where the business is. And it's that confidence that we have today in the business and the fundamentals of the business that allowed us to go back and, and you know, go to the bond market, get extra capital, and we're going to allocate it, like I said earlier, sh- shortly towards stuck in acquisitions. We have the capacity now to go back and be very acquisitive. It's not a concern anymore. It was not something that I would have done in 2020, not when you're running the business on nine different platforms. That's, that's not a, that's not a good, uh, a good formula for, uh, uh, and a good foundation for, for aggressive growth. Uh, the pause is behind us. It was, it, it was a pause with a, with a lot more no, noise than we've liked. Uh, COVID, uh, you know, re, re, refinancing the balance sheet, uh, uh, you know, all what we had to do with uh, U.S. gap conversion and all the, all the, uh, the, uh, the, the changes, which are all good changes uh, that we, we've done uh, that provide really a baseline for his, his the, the experience. And, and now we have a basis for, for growth from there. So I, I think, I think the, everyone should expect us to be more acquisitive because we do have all the confidence in doing that going forward. Okay, okay, thank you. Uh, and one last question for me, this has already been touched on, just uh, on, on the outlook uh, front, uh, your 2021 relative value unit guidance appears to be fairly strong. Uh, is that back-end loaded for the year, or did volumes already come back in, in the first quarter? And uh, are you seeing uh, a catch-up in preventative screening imaging, or is there some other reason for this optimistic outlook? I think, I think really the outlook is, uh, because I think people didn't have an appreciation for really what the platform could do, right? Because if you look at 2019, right? 2019 was 5.2 million, but but I guess what people should remember, significant acquisitions made during 2019 didn't even have half contribution to that 5.2 million RVs. So it looks like it, it, it looks like an optimistic number relative to a COVID year. But that actually, it, 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 the, the, the low end of our guidance is, is really like a conservative estimate. And it's based on where the business is in, in terms of volume today, not, not in the future, today. So, you know, even if you look at Q4, just take Q4. Forget about today. Even if you take Q4, you know, and you analyze uh, uh, Q4, you're not that far from your 100,000 RVUs from the low end of the range. If you analyze Q4, which is still low, you're at 6.1 and a half, uh, 6.15 million RVUs. And our low end of the range is 100,000 higher. So I think I think people need to remember when they look at 19 and 20, they need to remember what, what's normal is really a much higher number than 19 because the, all the acquisitions were not in the numbers. 
for for the whole year. So uh, our our low end of the range is 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 not an optimistic uh, rosy picture for the year. It's it's where the business is. Okay, got it. Well, uh, that's it for me. Uh, thank you guys. Thank you, George. Our next question comes from the line of Andre Leno with National Bank. Go ahead, please. Your line is open. Hey, uh, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, a, a good few morning. For me. Hey, hey, uh, so uh, just, just, I just wanted to kind of uh, clarify uh, a little bit on the AI acquisition that you did. I mean, we're likely to see more in kind of a cost savings uh, mode, right, uh, at the end of the day, rather than driving sales or anything to that nature. So that's a that's a that's a really a, 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 a that's really a good question. It's actually both. It will start with savings, but really, what we are so excited about is what's going to do to to actually top line. Because there is only really one thing that at the end of the day will differentiate, differentiate you uh, in the market. It's your service levels. There's really nothing else. This is not, this is not like, you know, if you have an MRI machine, someone, someone else has the MRI machine. You know, you, you, you have a radiologist that read it, you have... I have a radiologist too, but at the end of the day, the the and I've, I've said this many times in the past, five years ago, um, and I said the radiologist will always be here, but the but the relationships in terms of the business that will come through the door, unless it's you know unless you're actually into uh, plugged in into hospital systems, which is a different story. But if you're an independent player, it's, it's, it's come, it comes down to service. That's, that's the main driver for top-line growth. So if you could actually change the service equation, you're guaranteed organic growth. Especially when, when you're looking at the, the consumer, the end user, that he's paying for the service. You see, people, people think the reason for this digital health is COVID. No, they're wrong. It's not COVID. That's a superficial analysis. COVID accelerated the change to digital health. Digital health was happening. And digital health was happening because the patient, and I said this every year for the last five years, the patient is paying a higher and a higher proportion of the bill. What used to be 10 to 20 cents on every dollar Today is 40 cents plus. And if I'm paying 40 cents, 50 cents of my bill on average, I'm going to demand the service. And if, if, you haven't, if you didn't become efficient and you're not giving me the uh, experience that I expect, then I'm going to shop around. And that's really the main driver for healthcare services. And that's why these digital health companies will realize a lot of value for their shareholders. They will, because the savings are significant in the healthcare system. I hope I hope that that helps add additional color on on, on that. So yes, we are very very excited about that 
investment, especially when we see what it will do in a small way to our business. I mean, we're, we're, we're nobody in, in the imaging space and, and definitely nobody in the healthcare services space. So imagine if, 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 if they actually change our level of service and, 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 uh, and, and we realize savings on top of that, it's, you, you, get, you, you get both impacts. Top line and 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 and, um, and cost savings. Uh, great. No, thank you. That's that's great color, Riyad. And so, as a continuation to to the explanation and, and, and to the the questions, I mean, uh, is that those initial savings from the AI uh, will they contribute in 2021, or is there something else that you can point to in terms of cost savings? Uh, which is where I'm trying to get that it basically the margin that you've guided, which is sort of stable, a bit growing from before, uh, despite the price concessions that you're giving at ADG, which was uh, really one of uh, one of your margin drivers, right? Like at the end of the day, margin improvements following its acquisition. So is there, is there any other savings you could uh, point to? Or so that's a, that- that's a great that's a great question. So I'm glad I'm glad you uh, you clarified that. So they are no. Savings from the ERP in, in, in the guidance, um, because all what it is is the operating leverage. Because if you look, if we actually deliver the same volume in 2021, if we do the same volume as 2020, we will have a 2020 20 to 21 one percent margin. We will have the same margin. There's no reason to to actually have a higher margin. It will be very similar. It will be in, in close, close to 20%. So what you're seeing in the, as, as the, uh, the, the, the uh, return to margin, not because of savings, it's because of volume, the volume picking up again. That's why. Because I, I, I just said earlier, the ERP, is only going to be is only going to happen at the end of the year. So if it's going to happen at the end of the year, I'm I'm not going to have any savings. That's great. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Riyad. Uh, now, uh, just turning a little bit to to uh, to accounts receivable. Uh, so first, the concession that you took in in Q4. I mean, was that yes. from receivable directly, or was it an, inc- an increase to allowances for losses? And uh, the allowances for losses was 24% in Q3. Uh, what would it be in Q4? So, so uh, the two parts of your question. So, yeah. in uh, uh, so the 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 answer is it was uh, uh, an allowance to take into account the collection experience. So. What we've done, because obviously, with with with, that's also another benefit of moving to one uh, platform. So when we move to one platform, we also build build the uh, intelligence uh, uh, around the new platform on on top of legacy systems as well, um, and that allowed us to look at what really was our collection experience. For everything we've acquired in 18 and 19, what was really what 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 is that historical collection experience? Regardless of whether the collection happened on the old system or the new system. Okay, so so looking at that 
experience is basically what led to, although there are signs of improvements with the new platform, that doesn't matter. That should be a thing of the future. Right now, as of the end of 2020, let's actually put, make, make it clear what, what, what was the collection experience. And that's what we have reflected as an allowance, which in US, under US GAAP, as you alluded to, it's called the price concession. That's why we've actually done, uh, put uh, additional provision in the fourth quarter to make to match to that collection experience, which which now is something we have access to in twenty in in uh, in in, in twenty twenty one and, and and beyond because of because of uh, uh, what we've done with our with our platform. So that's so that's number one. So so it's really what we it's an allowance that matched back to 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 collection experience. So that's why I said earlier in my remarks, there's only one way to understand what that means in price. Because the other thing with the US GAAP, and like international accounting standards, revenue is revenue. There's no, here's, here's, here's the uh, revision inside that number. That's something you had visibility to in the IFRS under US GAAP, you know, that's the revenue. And 2020, that's our baseline revenue that reflects collection experience. So when you take our service fee revenue for 2020, which is a clean number because it's all service fee with all the provisions, all in, all net, if you take that number and you divide by the volume we did in 2020, that is the number that reflects our collection experience, which is the 43 number, $43 number I we calculate, and that's the number we use for our guidance as well. Because what we're saying is, assuming our collection doesn't improve, stays as as we as has been. That's 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 the baseline going looking forward. So this this adoption of 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 US GAAP, although you know it was a it was a nightmare for. Uh, uh, our team and for our auditors who I actually thank uh, uh, for all their hard work because uh, uh, it wasn't it's not easy as a public company to, to switch uh, to US GAAP not just for the whole year but also do US GAAP again for every every single quarter you had in the year uh, so it was a, 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 a tremendous effort and uh, a painful effort to all of us uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a, what what provided is is a is a baseline for. He's he's the number. He's the revenue. Forget about what's gross and what's bad debt provision. He's the revenue. A reflect collection experience. He's the mix of our revenues, and it provided a lot more, I believe, clarity. But more importantly, a baseline from which. You know, we uh, we we, uh, we we go f we, we we go from from here because um, obviously the the fundamentals of the business has never been better than today. Uh, accounting, as you know, is is an exercise of of looking at what what happened. I mean, that's the you know that's the clean up. That's all the, the the thing that happened during during the year. I think the bottom line is. We have a good 
a good basis for for the future, system-wise and, and financial statements-wise, especially with the refi behind us. It's it's, it's a probably a, you know one of the nosiest quarters we'll ever have. Uh, yeah, I, no, I, I hope it's all behind, but uh, w one more on this because we've talked about it a lot, but uh, just one more on the receivables. Uh, I just wanted to clarify because you have in the MDNA the, the 180 days past due. Uh, it's it's yes. 44 percent of accounts at the end of 2020 versus 38 in 2019. Uh, are those numbers comparable? I mean, have you scrubbed 2019 as well? Uh, or, or, or is that a reflection, the 2019 numbers are a reflection of before kind of evaluating uh, the, 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 the price concession? Yeah, so, so the, the, the numbers to rely on is the numbers at the end of 2020. Okay. Um, and, 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 uh, and, and, and just on, on, your, on your question, and I know this is something um, – uh, you and I, and like many others on this call, we've talked about a lot. Um, at the end of the day, which is why I believe we've done a much better uh, 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 disclosure uh, in, in, in adop while adopting U.S. GAAP, the, the, our attorney business, which is 10% of our business, that is the biggest driver of everything that is 180 days plus, right? So that's, that's what really the market needs to understand. And that's where we didn't do a good job explaining that to the market in, in, in the past. And I believe with these this additional disclosure in the U.S. gap, everyone has a, a better understanding for. And why? It's very simple. Everything else you do, you're getting paid inside the same year. But everything else, but everything else that you do on the attorney side, you're looking at a, a three-year look back. So today, our collections on the attorney side, they're very close to the business we underwrite but they're not from the same year. The collections are from three years ago, from two years ago, from last year. And that's what was not clear to, to the market. So if you actually really say, let me forget about 40, minimum 40% 40 of this AR, that's really the true AR of the business because what is making it a large number is that 10% of the revenue that we don't collect? Uh, we, we don't collect it in the same in the same year in terms of data services. Okay. So that's that, that's that's great, Kalar. Uh, thank you, Riyad. Well, uh, one more for me, and, and I'll pass it over. Uh, you have previously discussed uh, rationalizing some of the centers that didn't have enough volumes and and uh, and consolidating yes. volumes at some centers. Is that still on the table? And do you have any timelines towards that? Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, I actually, uh, I think when George asked that question earlier, I, um, I did not talk about that. And um, thank you for reminding me. Um, that is still on the table. And I think we wanted, we wanted the uh, single platform for, from a revenue cycle perspective to be in place, to have this 
uh, exercise behind us. Um, obviously, these now uh, help help us look. And there are other things we've done from an internal perspective uh, as you look at allocation uh, exercises. So uh, of, 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 of the corporate structure. So that exercise, uh, we've, we've been working on it, and it will be one of the initiatives uh, in, in, in the second quarter that we will start to execute on uh, because it's not, it's not significant, but it's something that we will do. And actually, as part of that exercise, um, there are some new business initiatives. So what's actually really interesting, Andy, about this is, uh, and that's really the nice thing about the assets we have, uh, is there are some new business opportunities that we've identified where we will potentially redeploy some of those assets into a new business model. Still, still related to imaging, but a different offering. So, so that's what we're doing with those, uh, with that rationalization of the network. So that's still, it's still happening, and there are, there would be some updates to the market on that front as well. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Appreciate the caller. Thank you. Thank you. And there are no further questions at this time. I'd like to turn the call back over to Mr. Zine. Thank you, everyone, for your participation on today's call. And I would like to take the opportunity to, again, thank all of our equity and debt investors, all of our stakeholders, all of our employees, and all of our geologists. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.